this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. The video, guys, has summarized the last five weeks. Um, One of the most significant series we've ever done here because I think it relates to each one of us. And, you know, maybe it's the God of things. Maybe it's the God of possessions. Just anything that become the God of our lives. It can become sports. You know, even last week that we talked about how if I'm not careful, I can, I can place my spouse, I can place my children above Father God. And all of that is nothing but idols. And so we're going to end this week. Um, just a couple verses that I'm going I'm to give you. I'm not going to have you turn there. Psalms 135 verses... Uh, 15 through 18, it's a great reference and it sums up everything we've talked about this whole week. And it just talks about what you ultimately serve or worship is what you become. Now we've said it this way, what you sacrifice for is what you'll worship. I ask you this morning to go with me to the book of Luke chapter number 14. Luke 14, and this is where we ended last week. You know, a lot of this was based on the Ten Commandments, and a lot of people say, well, all that junk in the Old Testament, that's irrelevant anymore to the society we live in. But once again, my thought is this, if if murder was wrong in the Old Testament, it's now right in the New Testament. If adultery was wrong in the Old Testament, it's now right in the New Testament. If honoring God on the Sabbath was right in the Old Testament, it's wrong in the New Testament. I don't think so. I believe the Bible is still relevant And if we'll begin to listen to it, it will move in our lives. Things will happen. Ultimately, guess what happens? When I obey the commandments of God, it's either self-preserving or self-destructive. And so every one of us in here have a choice. Look with me here at Luke chapter number 14. Begin with me in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, in his own life. Also, he cannot be my disciples. Now, the message says when you refuse to let go of any of these, whether it's your spouse, your children, your mother, your father, man, you look at all those and last week you realize It's not an easy thing to do. And when he used the word hate there, he's using it in comparison with Father God. And remember there in in Exodus 20, verse 5, it says that God is a jealous God. God does not want to play second to anything. And God says, I must be first place in your life. And I think about it even in the covenant of a a marriage. And I'll be married almost 33 years old pretty quick. And... I wear my wedding ring everywhere I go. And some of you say, yeah, probably because you can't get it off. No, that's not true. I can't get it off. But the thing is that is I'm not embarrassed to be married. I'm honored to be married, and I believe it's symbolic to say, you know what? I'm accounted for. I am not on the market, okay? What about Father God? Am I married to Father God? Or do I just date Father God? Or God just a sugar daddy? Is just he convenient? Is God just a life preserver? When I need something, I pray. Now go back here where we just read into verse 26. 
And I want you to look at the last part. It says, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Even one's own self here. Now, it's interesting that this is mentioned in here. But if I don't love Jesus even more than myself, I cannot be his disciple. And ultimately what happens here, guys, is there are symptoms that begin to arise in our life when the God of me begins to show up and becomes the God of my heart. And those symptoms are pride and arrogance. And a lot of times pride and arrogance shows up in this way. I'm always right. Do you always have to be right? Is your way the best way? Do you have in your mind that you're the perfect model of a great marriage? That you're the perfect model of a great husband? Maybe are you the perfect model of the perfect mom? Or the perfect family? The perfect Christian? We never sin. Actually, that's the 13th commandment. You know what the 13th commandment says? Thou shalt not kid thyself. There's really not a 13th commandment. I'm just throwing that in there, okay? But that's what happens when this begins to happen. Now, if you were to look at the end of that verse that we just read, in my Bible it's cross-referenced, which means it goes to Revelations 12, verse 11. Revelations 12, 11 says, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So in one sense there, I believe he's saying this, that everything you are and everything you've achieved and everything you have is only because of the blood of Jesus. But that verse doesn't end there. Actually, that verse ends there and it says, they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, I wasn't willing to die for Jesus. So we've got to begin to put Him first place in our life and begin to honor Him. Now, I want you to go to the book of Ezekiel. Chapter number 28. Ezekiel 28. Another way that arrogance and pride begins to show up. I think most people are smart enough to realize that I'm not on the same level of, as God. Now, actually, that one lady on that video, I don't know about you, but that made me throw up. I don't even know who that lady is. They, they told me the other day, and I didn't know who it was. But to sit there and win a award and say, actually, Jesus had nothing to do with that. I mean, thank God he's a merciful God, because if he wasn't, she'd got cracked right in the head with a bolt of lightning. And so, a, a form for every one of us that when we realize we're not quite on the level as Father God, but we have the mentality, I'm better or I'm more value than other people, you got a sense of pride in your life. Because when you come in here and you think you're better than another person, in generality here, guys, you have slapped Father God in the face and you've said, I really don't approve of how you made that person. When the Bible's very clear, we're all made equal in God's eyes. Now, in man's eyes, we're not. But when I get over and I think that I'm better than another person, you're borderline some things you don't want to get involved with. Now, where does pride and arrogance come from? Well, look at this in Ezekiel 28. Start with me in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God. 
you think you're a God. I sit in the seats of God in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of God. Now, what he's saying there is, you're not a God, but you imagine yourself as being a God. Now, I believe this right now, that of all the idols we've studied in the last few weeks, the God of me is the most relentless idol of them all. Why is that? Same chapter, begin with me in verse 11. And you'll see some things here. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up lamentations. Now the word lamentations there in the message says, Raise up a funeral song. So it's really death. Say of son of man, take up death for the king of Tyre, and say to him, or tell him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. In other words, you had everything going for you. Now, you know who this is being written about right here? An angelic being named Lucifer. Now, you know who Lucifer is? He's the devil. He's Satan himself. And so when I read this right here, God created him with perfection, with wisdom, with the seal of beauty. And look, look how he was decorated. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. Now I want you to think of this. This was how Lucifer was created. His clothing was that of every imaginable precious jewel there was. And I believe when, when God would look at him, can you imagine how he glittered? Just the beauty of him. Now look at the next part of verse 13. The workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes. You know what that means? Lucifer was the praise and worship leader. He was the choir director in heaven because God created him that way. Now, I personally believe this. The reason that music is so perverted this day is because the devil. He doesn't want people praising and worshiping God. How many of you know this? When you get ready for work in the morning and you put on praise and worship, man, it does something. It does something on the inside of you when you just start singing praise. And if you're like me, you can't sing a lick. But man, I love to praise and worship God. I was in the bathroom a minute ago, and Robert Bacon said to me, Pastor, are you singing today? And I said, oh, no. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. They don't put a mic on me. But I like to sing praise and worship to the Lord. And when I do that, I believe it ticks the devil off. I really do. I, I, I believe he can't stand it. So keep reading with me here. He was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. Father God said this. You didn't establish yourself. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity, wickedness, or sin was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering of cherub, from the midst of the firing stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And his heart was lifted up. And look how, look how beautiful I am. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you the ground. I laid you before the kings that they might gaze at you. Now, who established him? Father God. Who created him beautiful? Father God. Who gave him all that wisdom and splendor? Father God. But he chose to sin. And you know what ultimately got him? Is when he said, I want to be like God. And so he ushered in a thing called pride. So every time a human being gets over into pride, it's an ugly smelling aroma to Father God. You know why? It reminds him of the devil because that's where pride was birthed at. I could take you to Proverbs 6.16. And in that it lists six things that it says the Lord hates. The very first thing that it says is a proud look. God cannot stand pride. Now go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles 21. See, see, Lucifer, guys, he went from being beautiful and humble... To ugly and arrogant. And the reason I read all that passage is to let you know that the God of me has been around a long, long time. Actually, I could take you to Isaiah 14. And this is a good reference for you. Isaiah 14 started in verse 12. There's five I wills that the devil said. He said, I will do this, and I will do that, and I will be this, and I will... Anytime you start getting over on the I, 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 you better get ready. The proverb says, pride before destruction or pride before the crash. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Now, we can go throughout the Bible, and you can begin to see, guys, how great men and women of the Bible got over into pride. A couple illustrations of that. There's a man named Joseph. And at the early age of like 17, Father God put a dream in his heart that he would lead the nation. And, and if you remember that, and it's in, in Genesis like 32, 33, 34, where all that's written. Joseph had to go to his brothers and said, Hey, listen, fellas, you guys are going to bow before me. And he even had the audacity to go to his father and say, You're going to bow before me. And pride got Joseph in the predicament he was in. The only good thing about Joseph is he ultimately repented and God used him. I can take you to the New Testament. There was a man named Peter in Luke 22. Peter got so caught up with himself. Remember Peter said, I'll never deny you. All these other knuckleheads, they'll deny it, but I'll never deny you. And Jesus said to him, he said, the devil himself wants to sift you out. You know why? Because you're so full of yourself. But ultimately, even Peter himself repented. Now this passage here in 1 Chronicles 21 is about a man named David. King David. Israel's greatest king besides Jesus. And when I look at David's life, who anointed David to be the next king? Father God did through the prophet Samuel. Who was with David when he fought Goliath? God was. Who was with David when King Saul kept trying to kill him? God was. And throughout David's life, he acknowledged God. But just because you're a man or a woman of God, guys, 
doesn't exempt you from pride. It doesn't exempt you from the God of me coming after you. Now, look at this in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Begin with me in verse 1. Now, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David or influenced David to number Israel. Now, what he's talking about here is a census. Verse 2. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. So what's going on here, guys, is David is wanting this census to take place because he wants to gloat in what all he's done. Look how awesome this kingdom is that I've developed. And David had a strong sense that, you know what, just because I got the most uh, powerful military on earth, I can do whatever I want. But look what begins to happen here. Verse 3. And Joab answered, May the Lord make. Now notice he didn't say here, David, that you make. He said, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord the King David, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should be, he be a cause of guilt or pain in Israel? So Joab right here, guys, who's one of, one of David's mighty warriors, he tries to talk David out of it. He's saying, listen, king, let God make us big, but don't you try to do it. Verse 4, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the summer of the number of people to David. All Israel had one million, one hundred thousand men who drew the sword, and Judah had four hundred and seventy thousand men who drew the sword for a whopping grand total of one million, five hundred and seventy thousand people. Okay? Verse 6. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was an abominable to Joab. It was detestable to Joab. You know why? Joab knew in his heart what he was doing was wrong. But King David's got this mentality, because of all my success and all my victories, you know what, I can do whatever I want. You better get ready when you have that thought. Verse 7, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now David realizes he messes up, and he repents. And if you'll note there, David said to Father God, I've sinned. Pay real close attention to what happens here in verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Now what I want you to see here, guys, is David spoke to Father God, but when Father God spoke back, he didn't speak directly to David. He spoke to Gad. You know why? Anytime when we get over into pride, it breaks our intimacy with Father God. Father God took a step back. And so this is what happens right here. Now I want you to note something real close. Look back in verse number 1. I want you to note this. Now Satan stood up against Israel. Okay? Remember that. Turn to 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel 24. Back to your left a little bit. If, if I can get someone to turn that heat off, would you please do that? And I'm going to lose weight up here again. It is warm. 
Now the reason I ask you to highlight what I just read, what we just read there in verse verse one of First Chronicles, it said, "And Satan moved David." This is the same passage of scripture right here that we just read. Look what it says in in Second Samuel twenty four verse one. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he, God, the Lord, moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now, it's interesting to me. There in Chronicles it said, Satan moved him. But here it says, God moved him. So who was it? Was it God or was it the devil? What ultimately happens here, guys, is God saw the arrogance and the pride that was on King David. King David's heart, the the look at me syndrome. Look how smart I am. Look how much success I've had. And so when this happened, you know what Father God does? He lifts his protection. Anytime, guys, that we live for God and we give God the glory and the honor, and we live humbly before him, There's a grace that comes upon us. But when I get over with pride and arrogance, like David did, Father God backs out of the picture, and you know what he basically says to David? Here you go, big boy. You think you can do everything in your own ability and your own talents? Have at it. And ultimately, you know what happens? The devil pounces on David. He pounces on him. How does that look like in the New Testament? Well, go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. What you begin to see, guys, through all this, and that's right after Hebrews, you'll hit James, way back there in the New Testament. Humbling ourselves, it opens us up to, to grace, guys. Every time I humble myself. But there's also an opposite to that. When I get over in pride and arrogance, God will back away. Once again, it's the fragrance of the devil. Anytime I get over in pride. And we've got two more passages here, and I really want you to get this today. James chapter 4, verse 5. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And once again, I want you to see this because a lot of times we see the covenant names of God. He's Yahweh. He's the great Jehovah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But a covenant name of God is He's jealous. God loves you that much and He loves me that much that He's a jealous God. So you know what that tells me? God wants all of us, okay? Verse number 6. But He gives more grace. He gives more grace. And this is what you got to see about this, guys. God doesn't give us more grace to sin. God gives us more grace to live submitted. God wants to empower That's what grace means. It's an empowering. And so look at what takes place here because this is very important that we see this. He gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists. Or he opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Now right there, it really really comes down to this. You're either full of yourself or you're full of God. 
Now, if you can show me anywhere else in the Bible this, I want to see it. I cannot find anywhere in the Bible that God opposes human beings except when they're prideful. Over and over, God doesn't oppose the sinner. God doesn't oppose the adulterer. God doesn't oppose the murderer. God doesn't oppose the thief. But something happens with pride. And it says that God himself opposes the prideful. So when I get over and I think, I'm really a smart human being. I've really got life figured out. I don't need no help. You better get ready. And so he tells us right here, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now look at verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. You know what that means? Yield to His authority. The way I submit to God is I yield to His authority and I do what He asked me. Now once again, I said this a minute ago, this is where grace kicks in. For us to live submitted to God. Submit to God. And resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You can't resist the devil unless you're submitted to God. And any time I've got pride in my life, it's not going to happen. Now, I've been before in my own life, guys, and i thought about this all week. But I believe in the name of Jesus. It's the name above every name. And the Bible is very clear over and over to New Testament believers that when we come in the name of Jesus, stuff happens. And there's been times in my life that I've spoken in the name of Jesus and I've prayed in the name of Jesus and nothing happened. And I, in my humanity, said, what's up, God? What's up? Now, the key to this, guys, is God doesn't miss it. God's Word is true. So when things don't happen like the Word of God tells us it'll happen, the problem isn't God. The problem's me. And I go back and I look at that word submitted, and every one of us in this room, we've got the mindset that submitted to God is to go to church on Sunday. Well, that's a good thing to go to church on Sunday. But when I talk about being submitted to God, let me give you a percentage. It's called a hundred. He wants all of us. And I truly believe with all my heart that when I live submitted to God to the best that I can and I repent and I stay humble before Him, I can resist the devil in the name of Jesus and the devil's going to flee. But it all falls back to this if I don't live submitted to Him. But so many times in our life, we treat God as a life preserver. The only time we hang out with God is when all H-E double toothpicks breaks loose. God, you got to help me. you got to help me. you got to help me. I need this. I need this. I need this. You know, I said this Wednesday night in our Wednesday night teaching. We're talking about the authority of the believer, the name of Jesus. And I was, we, we were in the, the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And it talks in Ephesians 1 to pray for wisdom. To pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. To pray that we know what the riches of the inheritance in light is. And as I said that, this is the thought that came Wednesday night. How many of you have ever prayed, Father God, give me wisdom. 
Father God, open the eyes of my understanding. Father God, show me the things of heaven. Most of us in this room, the only thing we ever pray for is our physical need. Father God, I need more money. I need this, I need that. I want, I want, I want, I want. But yet something happens when I begin to seek God for who He is. Too many times we seek God for the gift instead of the giver. We seek God for the presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, maybe. Help me, Sue. You're an English girl. You've got to help me. Instead of His presence. There's a huge difference. Where's my heart at today? Now turn over one book to 1 Peter 5. Understand this, guys. When I'm submitted to God, there is a grace. There is a grace. And you know what he says in Philippians 4? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. 1 Peter 5. Well, if you guys are thinking or you're saying, Woe is me, this is rugged, Pastor. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. You younger people, you hear that. I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> Man, this is a serious bunch today. Likewise, you younger people, submit to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now, I want you to get a hold of that last part there. And be clothed with humility. You know what that means? When you wake up tomorrow morning, you're not going to be naturally clothed with humility. Every day, you and me pick out a new outfit to wear. Me and you every day pick out what shoes we're going to wear. Every day. And so every day, guys, we must pick out the garment of humility. And you begin to say, Father God, I put on humility. Now, you know how that looks? Anytime I'm humble, it says, Father God, i got to have your help. Why is it so important that I put on humility every day? Well, look what he says next. Same, same verse. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So understand this. When I put on humility... There's going to be a grace. Verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Notice that. That He may exalt you in due time. It didn't say that you're to exalt yourself. Look at me. I'm God's gift. I'm the man of the hour with power. Once again, let's let God exalt us in due time. And He goes on to say in verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Now what happens a lot of times as human beings, we don't want to cast our care upon Him. Especially men. We got it all figured out. I'm the breadwinner. I can do this, I can do that. But right here, God's intention or His goal for every one of us to say, man, cast your care upon me. Cast. Now if He gives me that invitation to cast my care upon Him, that means He wants it. He wants us to give that to Him. But too many times, in our life, we won't do that. We'll do everything in the world, yet give it to God. What do most of us do when we get a bad report? First thing we do is we pick up the phone and we call someone. We've got to tell somebody, it's bad, it's bad. 
What about calling God? What about casting it on Him? You know, every one of us in this room, we have certain gifts and talents that, that will try to define our lives. Success, achievements. And you know what? Every bit of that's a good thing. That all comes from Father God. The problem is when we start allowing success and achievements to be my identification. Well, I got a PhD. How many of you have ever asked someone, tell me about you? And the first thing they'll do is they'll tell you where they work at. So once again, you're telling me your identity is where you work. Instead of casting my care and saying, man, everything I do is through Father God. In Him I live and move and have my being. Now look at verse 8. Be sober, be, be self-controlled, and be vigilant or watchful. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, your opponent, the devil. Now some of you may have not owned this today. Some of you may have thought the devil's your friend. I got news for you today. He's not your friend. Just read what the B-I-B-L-E says. And he says, your adversary, your opponent. And once again, the devil is not some little Hollywood actor that goes around with a pitchfork poking people in the rump. Okay? I think a lot of times that's if you understand this about the devil. John 10.10 says he comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. In other words... He hates your guts. And you know, you know with me, it's okay, because I'm not really fond of him either. But it says right here, your adversary, the opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, pay close attention to the last few verses, seeking whom he may devour. It did not say in there, seeking whom he will devour. It said, seeking whom he may devour. So what ultimately happens again with every one of us, just like King David, when I get over in pride and arrogance, guess what I've done? I've opened the door to the devil. And you know what he's waiting to do? He just wants to pounce. And so once again here, guys, I want you to see this, that, that pride attracts the devil as humility attracts God. So what do we got to begin to do? There's a woman who, who's gone home and been, been with the Lord for a number of years now. And I love to read her books. If you ever want to feed your faith on healing, this woman's name is Catherine Kuhlman with a K. She had some of the greatest healing revivals ever from, from Pittsburgh to, to L.A. People would wait six hours to get into her to healing crusades. I'm telling you, she's a little bitty, little bitty red-headed woman that knew God. I mean, knew God. And I would read the stories. She has a book out called God Can Do It Again. Man, it stirs me up every time I read it. But every time I've read this book, there would always be a phrase when she would be ministering to people. And you know what it would say? To you, O Father God, be all the glory and honor. I give you the glory, and I give you the honor. I give you the praise. And you know what that was? That was the robe of humility. When someone comes up to you and gives you an accomplishment, don't play it off like you're so smart. I believe God's wanting, He's wanting the glory for these things. If you got a good marriage, don't sit there and act like you're the gift from heaven. 
When you have a good family, don't act like it's all because of you. When you go back any time in life and you say, Father God, I give you glory and I give you honor. I loved the, the quarterback of the Seahawks, Russell Wilson. And I don't know if any of you saw that. I'm not a real Seahawk fan. But when they asked him about the Super Bowl, you know what he said? To God be the glory. And I said, I'm a Russell Wilson fan. Blessing. Once again, right there, that's where we, we go to. My identity isn't because I'm a great quarterback. My identity is because who I am in Christ Jesus, that I give Him all the glory. And I believe with all my heart, He wants every one of us in this room to be successful. He wants you to have the greatest marriage, the greatest family, the greatest things you can. But the biggest thing, you know what He says is? I want the glory. And one of the ways I keep humble is when I give Him the glory. I mean, when you're on your way to work, give Him the glory for your job. Well, you know what? I've worked hard to have this new pickup. You hadn't done jack crud. The glory to God. The glory. And once again, all this comes down to is I can't be God. But too many times in our life, we want to be God. How many of you ever tried to fix somebody? I've tried to fix Shelly for 33 years and she still doesn't submit. You know why? I'm not God. How many of you got children that you've tried to fix? How many of you got a child that isn't living for God? I got a son that he's coming around rapidly with the things of God. But you know what I found out? I can't change him. I can't change any of you. Only God can do those things. So you know what I begin to do? I just begin to give God glory and honor. I say, thank you, Father God. I can't change him, so you change him. Once again, I'm putting it back in God's court. And right here, he said, cast all your care upon me because he cares for you. And sometimes we need to get a visual of that. It would be like picking this up and saying, I'm going to cast my care upon you, Father God, and throw it. And you know what the problem is? A lot of times we've thrown it, we've cast it on the Lord, but on our way out of church, you know what we do? We get back under the pew. We take it back with us. See, I know I'm relating because I've done that. And so every one of us in here, guys, doesn't matter where you're at in life, put on the robe of humility. Begin to say, Father God, I live for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.